and Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's good to have you guys with us today. We're in a series called Miraculous Births, and we're looking at different miraculous births in the Bible because on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the miraculous birth of Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke 1, verse 5. Um, have you ever had anything really, like, strange happen to you to the point where you're like, what are the chances of that happening? Like maybe you're across, you know, the, the country in a different state and you see somebody from your own state or something like you see a childhood friend somewhere random. Have you ever had like a random thing happen that leaves you thinking like, what are the chances of that, right? Anybody ever had that before? Well, I had that recently. So as you guys know, I played in a band and I toured. And when I was around, I think it was like, I want to say 2001, we got a 1996 Dodge van. And I was so excited because I actually bought it. It was $13,000. It had 13,000 miles on it back a long time ago. Things obviously cost more now. And I was pumped about the van. We got it. And we put, in about two and a half to three years, we put 155,000 miles on it. I mean, we had show after show after show. We were touring all the time. Plus, I drove it from my own personal uh, van, right? And over that time, man, I changed all the oil in it. I put synthetic oil in it only. I did all the work to it. Had a new transmission with a coolant put on. I mean, I, I was taking care of that thing, right? But here's what happened. In 2003, 4, you know, then I felt God call me out of the band and to pursue church ministry. Because I believe everything's ministry, this is pursue church ministry. And I knew this. I was single at the time, and I knew that a single guy driving a white van <laughs> is not very appealing, right? And so, I mean, you don't like, hey, I got, I got some puppies in the back. I mean, kind of sus, right? Like, you just don't want somebody, somebody doing that. So I had to get rid of the van, and I sold the van, and I bought a more, you know, sensible, I bought a Honda Accord, right? That's a lot more sensible for where I was going in life. Well, Let's fast forward. This is 2000 and, well, I think it was 2003 I sold the van, the end of that. Fast forward to 2018. I am driving in Virginia. And as I'm driving, I look, and guess what I see? That van. Well, how do you know it was that van? It had all the stickers I put on it. <laughs> stickers of Christian punk bands that nobody would know of, right? And you could, nev you could never get those stickers again. And even had a little Jesus fish that I put on the back. Because you've got to do that. If you're a Christian, you've got to have the Jesus fish. And I had that. And I saw that. I was, like, I was like, what are the chances? Now, I wish today I could tell you God told me something really awesome. And the Lord showed me something. I have no idea. But that was really cool. It was totally random that I saw that. And what I want to talk to you today about, though, is actually when things look random and seem random, though, I want to talk to you about when God's actually in it. And the guy we're going to look at today is, is a guy named Zechariah. Now, he's very important because he was John the Baptist's father. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. He was prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds and thousands of years before that he would come and he would make the way and lead the way for the Messiah to come. And so his, his mom and dad were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the story's incredible about how they came about to have this child because his dad was a Jewish priest who was very faithful to his religion. And I want you to watch the encounter and what happens there. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, uh, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Very important descendant of Aaron. Remember Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament? That means that she had a strong lineage, right? And he was uh, a Jewish priest. 
Very important note that, that Luke says in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Timing is everything. You're going to see this. Verse 6 says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands. That's the Torah in the Old Testament. The decrees blamelessly. Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot. Now, this is kind of like dice, right? You know, if you ever like do dice, who gets to go first, who gets the highest number, and you get to go first, whatever. This is literally what they did. Now, this is how random this is. 20,000 Jewish priests, hundreds upon hundreds of divisions of Jewish priests. And it just says that it, I love how, how, how he puts it, he says once while he was serving, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, this is even more important. Not only was his division chosen out of thousands of people, but the division gets together and then they cast lots. They're rolling dice, drawing straws, however you want to do it. And they say, Zechariah, you get to go into the most holy of holies. Jewish people would have never entered it if you were just a Jewish person. This was only relegated for priests and only the priests who were chosen by lot. So his whole life he's been doing this. He's never been chosen. And now he gets to go in and, um, and go into the Lord and burn incense. And what he's going to do is he's going to offer up a prayer for, for Israel while he's in there. Very important. Verse 10 says, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So people are outside expecting, they're praying, and they're just praying for Messiah to come. In verse 11, while Zechariah's in there, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now, can I just give you a little sidebar here? Uh, people talk about, I see angels and talk to angels. And they're looking at you like this. Number one, it's scary. Like, you're like, okay, cool, cool. Um, no, you cannot have my number, no. Every time someone in the Bible saw an angel, they were scared to death. Very huge, menacing creatures. This wasn't like a baby with little wings on that you see on the Charmin or whatever it is, the angel soft, you know, toilet paper. These are like, these are scary. And so the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, pause for a second. Most scholars, and if I've researched this, believe that his prayer in that end there would never have been for a son. No priest would have been so selfish to go in and pray for a son, because that was the time to pray for Messiah. Rome was in rule. Herod was ruling. As you just saw, Herod the king, very wicked. That was his time to offer up the prayer for Messiah, for God to send a deliverer to Israel. He would not, and he would not have been praying for his son. We also know, too, that he had stopped expecting that to happen. He had given up on it. And it says here, <clears throat> verse 14, He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Verse 16 speaks of John's mission here. He will bring back many, many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. 
and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of, and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and make ready a people prepared, prepared for the Lord. That was all of John the Baptist's mission, get them ready for Jesus. Now, you have to understand something quickly. This is not John the Baptist today, but here's why that's important. John taught repentance to Jews. He baptized Jews. Jews didn't think they needed to repent or get baptized. That was Gentiles to join the Jewish religion. That's how radical John was. He prepared the mindset so when Jesus came, he could teach the things that he taught and they'd be ready for Messiah. Now, verse 18 goes back to Zechariah. All this, now he just said something very amazing. If an angel shows up to you and tells you this about your child, you're like, awesome. So they're going to make it in life. They're going to be successful. Great. Here's what Zechariah says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? That's bold, y'all. If I was in the presence of an angel, I'd be like, yes, sir. Like, even if I didn't believe, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I got you. That's awesome. He questions the angel. Like, like because he says, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. They were way past childbearing uh, there. And look what, what happens next. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. He made a mute for that. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, why has he stayed so long in the temple? When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs but unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Um, probably wondering and scared, will this baby even make it? I'm so old. Wondering, I mean, probably in awe that the angel showed up, the things that he had spoken to, to Zechariah. And verse 25 says this, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. As we said last week about Hannah, remember, if you didn't have children in that day and time, you weren't, people didn't believe you were favored. The more children you had, the more blessed they thought you were, right? And now she had felt the same way. She had felt disgraced, she had felt forgotten, she had felt uh, looked over and left out by God. As we look at the story of Zechariah and we see how this happens, that he was just one day just serving God like he'd always served him, doing the same thing over and over and over again, he's chosen to go in. He's chosen out of 20,000 people to go in there at this appointed time. And he goes in, and then the angel tells him this, and they're going to have a son there named John. What I want you to understand from this passage here, which is so incredibly important for us today as believers, is this here, randomness doesn't exist under God's rule. Randomness does not exist under God's rule. Like, you have to understand that God is meticulous in planning. The scriptures say that before the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. What does that mean? That means before he ever created you and I, he'd already got together with the, with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus up there in heaven. He said, hey guys, here's the deal. I'm going to create man. They're going to have some trees to choose from. They're probably going to choose the wrong tree. If they do, Jesus, you're going down to save them. Holy Spirit, you can get him up on the third day. And then there's going to be something called salvation. And then Holy Spirit, you'll come and then you'll fill out all these people called believers and they'll be in a relationship with me. Before it ever happened, before the foundation of the world, God is a planner. 
And you have to understand there's nothing random in God's kingdom. I know there's times that your life feels random, that you're going through the motions of work. You're clocking in, you're doing your stuff, and you're wondering what's the purpose. You're wondering how interactions even matter anymore. You lose the awe that God's involved, and that happened to Zechariah. He had stopped believing. And I'm here to tell you this morning that randomness does not exist under God's rule. Because think about the the birth of John the Baptist. Jesus had to be birthed at a certain time. He had to be birthed when he was birthed, um, especially because the the census was going to be taken. Joseph and Mary had to get to Bethlehem for him to be born. They didn't live in Bethlehem. The timing of everything for Jesus under Roman rule at the appointed time was planned out, and God meticulously planned everything out, had it orchestrated. And John had to be born before Jesus because he's the forerunner. And all that had to be planned out. And so God had this all planned out for Zechariah. There was nothing random about drawing lots, casting lots, drawing straws, and ending up in that temple. And can I tell you today, there's nothing random about your life. The biggest lie you can believe is that I'm not important and I'm not really involved in God's plan because my life seems boring. Zechariah's life was the definition of boring, right? Over, he's a Jewish priest. There's nothing probably more boring than that. <laughs> Let's be honest. I, you're not laughing, but can I tell you something? How many of you want to grow up and be a Jewish priest when you grew up? None of you. <laughs> Nobody ever wished to be that. Over and over again doing the same thing. And when I look back at my life, I realize and, and I see God's hand in all the randomness. The reason I'm in Virginia, one of the major reasons is, um, is because I went to a church planning gathering. It was a small one. It's probably like 30 church planners. It wasn't huge. And after things got done one night, there was a guy named Dayton Burt. And Dayton was over a network of churches in Virginia. And Dayton said, hey, I heard you're planting a church in Florida. I said, yeah. He said, I'd love to talk with you. And this is back when I stayed up past 9 o'clock, right? And I drank coffee past 9 a.m. in the morning. I don't drink coffee past 9 a.m. anymore. I sat up and drank coffee with this guy until 1 o'clock in the morning. I haven't seen 1 o'clock in the morning in many, many moons. I can't tell you when. And so I sit up with him talking church planning. The rest of the guys go to their room. Like there was guys, some of my friends that were sitting with us, and they just kept falling off. And then when he found out I, I, I was in Florida, he found out I was transitioning out, and I didn't know where I was. First person who called me. He said, hey, man, I remember our conversation. I've got a church in North Chesterfield that's going to die. You want to come? Like, he's a great salesman. But the reason I'm here is because of a seemingly random coffee that kept me up really late and I was tired the next day, that years later came to fruition, that God had timed that out and timed it perfectly. The reason that we have a Richmond campus, I was invited to a friend's church. I haven't been invited back to speak again, if that tells you anything. To preach his anniversary service, I'm in a bathroom. Some of you have heard the story. And in bathrooms, men don't usually talk. Women, y'all, y'all go together. Y'all traveling, and, and you know, God knows what y'all talking about. We don't talk. We don't make eye contact. We don't talk. We can nod our heads. We don't talk. I'm in a bathroom, and this short Korean guy who's really happy wants to hug me in a bathroom. I'm like, whoa, whoa, bro. <laughs> I mean, he's all like, hey, man. I was like, I'm, I'm Kevin. I gave my elbow bump because I was... I'm just, I'm all about, you know, germs matter. He said, man, I'm Mark, man. He said, I've been following your story. I'm so excited to hear you speak tonight. I'm a church planner. I was like, that's great, Mark. And then, lo and behold, who would have ever known that he would be our Richmond campus pastor? And now he's been with us nine years serving at Thrive Church. Right, right, like, 
when I look back at things that seem so random and just so, God was orchestrating. And can I tell you, that gives me hope for the future. That helps me. Because here's the fallout. If you don't get this message today, if it doesn't get into your soul, what's going to happen is this. It's going to mess with your faith. And your faith could be shipwrecked. Because our faith will be temporal if we don't understand that God is eternal. Let me unpack that. Our faith will be temporal if we don't understand that God is eternal. Meaning that your faith will eventually dissipate and go away if you don't understand that God is eternal. God does not exist in time with us. God is eternal. See, our minds can't comprehend that. Our minds are relegated to time. Let me say it this way. Okay, has it, 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 write this down. Nothing occurs to God. One guy said it this way, has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? God's not walking through your day with you and your tire goes flat and he goes, oh man, I'm so sorry. Can I just comfort you a little bit? And you know, I'll come. No, he's already, been, he's already in our tomorrow and he's in our today as well. And if you think that God just exists in time that when you have the doctor's report come or something happens and you get all, oh, I'm just so worried and nervous. Oh, Lord, I just, oh. you know, we just worry our prayers. We're just worry. We, oh. and, and you think God's going, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> angels, angels, what are we going to do? Like, you think he's worried? He's like, oh, I tell you what, I'll get with you. Okay, okay, okay. just hold tight. I'm going I'm to I'm meet with heaven. I'll get back with you to close the business. We'll have a plan ready. That's how we think, don't we? That's not how God operates. And if we don't have that understanding, your faith will go with how life goes. But if you understand that God is eternal and he's not relegated to time, he's already in your tomorrow. He knew this was going to happen before you knew it was going to happen. He knows what the next season is. If you know that, it keeps your faith strong. That when you face those things, you understand God isn't random. God's got a plan. He's working all things together. I'm getting ready to blow your minds with something, okay? And this is like, so I don't believe, and this is not the, my personal belief, and some Christians believe, I don't believe God just creates and makes everything that happen happens to us. I don't believe that, right? God has a sovereign plan. I don't understand how that works, but can I tell you, here's how God operates. Imagine a, a supercomputer that if you plugged up to it, just you, could calculate every decision you could make in any moment and what the outcome would be. That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? So right now, okay, the computer is calculating. If Kevin preaches a good sermon, here's what the response is going to be. Here's, here's what gets, okay. What if Kevin gets on stage and, I don't know, has a, I mean, runs off stage and leaves the church and resigns? I don't know. Like, what if Kevin, I don't know. Like, what, I mean, any, any possibility. What if Kevin gets up stage, on stage and starts cussing a lot? <laughs> any crazy possibility. Think about it. All the possibilities right now that could happen. That computer could calculate it of what the outcome would be. Now, I want you to think about this. Billions of people in the planet, any possible outcome in any possible situation, any second of the day, that computer would know the outcome. God knows, this is crazy, any possible outcome of any decision that any human being could make on planet Earth, and he can still work his plan through it no matter what happens. You got to sit on that, that's mind blowing to me. Mind blowing any possible outcome. Because God doesn't make you do stuff. You have free will. And so he can, in his infinite wisdom and power and knowledge, he can do that. Nothing is random to God. He knows any and every decision you could ever make from this day forward. And he knows every possible outcome that could happen with your life. 
and he still chooses to love you with it. He still chose to send his son to die for you. See, if you don't understand that about God, and you don't understand that God is calculated, and God orchestrates, and God plans, then when you get in tough situations, your faith's going to go to the wayside. You're going to worry instead of worship. You're going to go vomit all over Facebook, as I said before, instead of going to people who you should go to and like, trust. You're going to stop coming to church, stop reading your Bible. You're going to really, it's going to mess you up. And you've got to have that confidence in those times of trials that you face. Matter of fact, as I was thinking about this, one of the best examples is King David. And King David had a son named Absalom. And Absalom came in and betrayed David. Totally betrayed him. Took the kingdom over. And you would think by him taking the kingdom over, David just would be like, oh, I'm giving up. This is happening again to me. And as I begin to look, David wrote a psalm, Psalm 63. You can write this in your notes. He wrote this psalm when Absalom was betraying him. Now, here's what's important. Absalom was an enemy he couldn't fight and a problem that he couldn't fix. He was not going to kill his son. He loved him. The throne was not worth it to David. He couldn't fix the problem. The people were against him because Absalom had spread lies. What do you see? God will put you in situations, an enemy you can't fight and a problem you can't fix. And the reason he puts you in those situations for you to trust in him. And look what David writes. I just want to read this to you. Because you, if you just read the psalm, you wouldn't know he's even talking about that. Here's what he writes. I lay awake thinking of you, God, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you for your strong right hand holds me securely. Does that seem like someone whose faith is shaken? Does that seem like someone who doesn't, uh, doesn't understand that God actually is going before him, who wrote Psalm 23, he'll go before you and make a table for you in the presence of your enemies? Does that seem like that? Uh-uh. He is worshiping, he's focused on the Lord, because he knows the same way God handled Saul in that situation, God will handle this situation as well. And I want to encourage you, because Zechariah ran into the same situation, where life had a crisis, a trial, didn't get what he wanted, and I want you to do exactly what he did. And here it is. Write this down. Walk by faith even when the steps don't seem to matter. Walk by faith when the steps don't even seem to matter. When, we, when you read the passage of Zechariah, it says that he obeyed the Lord. He continued to obey God and walk with him and be, a, and, and be obedient to God. And he was righteous with the Lord. And his wife was righteous. Sometimes if we don't get what we want, we go AWOL. We don't keep leaning into Jesus. We actually walk away from him. And Zechariah didn't do that. And for you and I, there are times in your life the steps are not going to seem to matter. It's going to seem like, why am I even doing this? I'm not seeing any movement. I'm not seeing anything happen. So why should I continue to walk the path that I'm walking? Right? Like maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your spouse. I don't know what it is for you. But you've got to walk by faith and be obedient even when the steps don't seem to matter. And then eventually, I'm going to tell you, obedience over time gets compounding results. And that's what happened to Zechariah. Obedient, 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 even when he didn't see it for years. You know, for me, this, this whole thing, you know, I, I got into the fitness world several years ago. And one of the mistakes I made when I got into the fitness world was the scale. How many of y'all love the scale? I don't. Anybody here love the scale? No. Because when I just lost a bunch of weight and didn't eat anything, it was easy. You watch weight get out all the time. When I started strength training and building muscle, they told me, don't, 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 don't play the scale game. You're going to lose. 
And I was like, oh, you watch me. I'll build muscle and I'll watch the scale go down. And I, li- I literally, like, guys, I, it, it, it like to kill me. You can't, you can't eat nothing and build, try to build muscle. It's, it's impossible, right? And what they told me was this. They said, you're paying attention to the wrong thing. Pay attention to your consistency and pay attention to your strength. Stop looking at the scale because that's going to make you go crazy. Some of you are paying attention to the wrong metrics in life and the wrong things in life. And that's causing you not to walk by faith, not to keep the steps going, to keep being faithful, to keep being pure, to keep your heart right before the Lord. Because you're not seeing these, these results in your life. Change what you're looking at. Let your metric in life not be the things you're seeing around you, but the obedience you can control inside of you. Let your metric in life be that I will be faithful to the Lord. I will walk in faith even when the steps don't seem to matter to me. And if you keep doing that over time, you're going to see the results. Now, here's how Zechariah did this. Number one, he stayed the course, as I just said. He stayed the course. Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Now, this is before Christ, meaning your righteousness was based on works of the Jewish law. This was hard. If God called you righteous in the Bible, you were pretty close to like, pretty, you couldn't be perfect, pretty close to it. That means you were very, very meticulous at following the commandments of God. It says, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. They did not let the lack of conception mess with their obedience to God. You can't let the lack of what's happening on one end dictate or affect your obedience on the other end. He stayed the course. For some of you, you just need to stay the course. Set your, 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 your compass due north and keep going that direction. The second thing he did was this. He was submissive to God's process. This is what we don't like, but he was submissive to God's process. Luke 1.8 says this. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, dice almost, according to the custom of priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. God had a process for him. Many of us don't want process. We want it fast. We want it now. We don't want to wait. We want to be faithful, be patient. He was submissive to that. He wasn't angry that he'd never been chosen. He continued to obey God. Submit yourself to God's process in your life. I don't know what that is for you, but God has a process for you to bring you to where you're at. And then finally, this is very important, he struggled with his faith. Some of you beat yourself up because you struggle with your faith. Maybe you just don't believe. You've not seen it in so long, you're not sure if it ever happened. But look at what happened here. It says in Luke 1, 22, when he came out, he could not speak to them, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. That was a, that's what the angel did to him because he struggled with his faith. It's okay to struggle with your faith. God still used him, didn't he? Some of you haven't seen, you're not seeing what you want God to do. And you struggle. What I love about Zechariah is he voiced his struggle to the angel. He was real and raw and honest like are you sure about this like really it's an angel and he says that to him 
There's times in your life, guys, you just need to be real with God and say, God, I don't believe. I don't have the faith that this will ever happen. You're struggling, and it hurts. Your Heavenly Father doesn't look at you and say, how dare you? Oh, because of your unbelief, you'll never see anything from me. Or you could just fake it and say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. I believe everything you say, God. I mean, if you really believe that, that's, that's cool. But for, for the, the majority of normal people, you pray and you're hoping God will do it, but deep inside you're like, I just, I just don't, I don't think so. The best thing you can do in those situations is express that to God when you're struggling with your faith. When you look at the life of Zechariah, guys, and the miraculous birth of John the Baptist, I want you to realize this. God has meticulously planned your life in a good way for you. He's got a timeline and a process of how he wants things to work. And yeah, you may, maybe you made some bad decisions. Maybe you screwed some things up. God knows all things actual, all things possible, and he can begin to reorchestrate and rework. You know, the moment you turn back to God, God begins to work it all together for the good. There's no randomness under God's rule. Stop thinking your life is random. Stop thinking you screwed your life up. Stop thinking all those things. And realize the Lord wants to meet you there. Now, here's what you have to do. I've told you this over and over again. The outcome's up to God. The input's up to you. Your input is obedience to the Lord. Where is it that you need to keep walking by faith, that you need to keep taking the steps, you need to keep going the process? What is that for you? I'm telling you, God wants to meet you where you're at. And he wants to do something in your life that's powerful. Here's the prayer I usually pray. I'm going to leave you with this. Father, I pray this. And here's what I pray when I go through a situation. I pray you would do it in a way I only know it's you. That I could give you glory and encourage others after it's done. That's my prayer every time I come to a place like Zechariah came to in my life. Make that your prayer. Now, can I tell you something? Your heavenly father's not playing hide and seek with you. He's not a cruel master. He's a good, loving father who wants to meet you there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're sovereign. That what we think is random, that we don't understand how the world works and how all this stuff could even be used for good, God, you're always calculating and working it for our good and your glory. I pray for all those in here right now, Lord, that maybe have a situation like Zechariah and Elizabeth where they've been praying for a long time or they're going through a really hard situation, Father, that you would meet them in it, that they would share their struggles with you and be open and vulnerable to you. And Father, that they would see your hand move in their life. May we, God, have faith in you that you are not a higher power, you are the highest power. You are a sovereign king that does not exist in time with us, but is eternal, Father. You're in our next season already, God. Thank you for that. Not only are you walking with us, but you're already there, God. And we praise you for that, Lord. I pray to encourage somebody in here today, somebody online, Father, please let that resonate with their spirit today, God. And so, Lord, we just submit ourselves to your process, though, with this. And we trust you with it. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe your step of obedience is giving your life to Christ. Or it's giving your life back to Jesus. Maybe you just have been disconnected from your faith. And you know that the Lord has brought you here today. He knows you got, he's got you watching online today because it's time to surrender your life to him. 
to see his good plan come to pass. If that's you today and you say, oh, Kevin, that's me, I need to make that decision. I want you to pray this prayer after me. I'm going to lead you in it. It's saying, God, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Today, I give my life to Jesus Christ. For I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. I believe Jesus is Lord. So today, I repent of my sins. I turn from that old life. And I embrace this new life. Thank you for forgiving me and cleansing me. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk in obedience to you. In Jesus' good name, I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate everybody.